On this week's episode of Life and Lessons, I give you an update on the 75 hard challenge, tell you what it's taught me about discomfort and mental toughness, and I discuss my views on minimalism. Hey, what is going on? Welcome to this episode number 55 of Life and Lessons. I'm Sean Spooner, and if you're new here, here's what you need to know. Every week on this podcast, I'm going to be sharing with you the story of growing a business, of growing as a person, and of taking on some fairly unusual challenges. Sometimes on my own, sometimes joined by the most interesting people I know. And with that said, the fact that we have a new intro, happy days, let's get into it. Um, It has been a busy few weeks since we last spoke. Uh, The last episode I recorded was on the 1st of January. No, that's a lie. I recorded it on the 31st of December. So actually, I haven't recorded an episode like this so far this year. And the first two weeks of the year have been incredibly busy. Despite another lockdown, despite things being seemingly in a worse position than they ever have been when it comes to COVID, when it comes to us living our normal lives, business seems to be very much still going. And uh, for Pata, we started a new sales approach this year, which has so far, okay, it's only 14 days in, but has so far been incredibly effective. Uh, And I think that that is going to set us up for our best year yet. It's already looking good in as much as we we really strengthened our position during the pandemic last year. But between the position we entered this year in and the early green shoots of this new sales approach and some of the conversations we're having with potential new clients already, I just think it's going to be an incredible year. So hopefully this podcast can be me documenting what is quite a rapid growth year for the agency. Um. Thank you to anybody who listened to last week's episode before we get into it. Let's let's revisit that. So if you listened, you'll remember that I spoke to Billy Harris, who is a, a performance optimization coach is probably the best way to describe him. He helps six, seven and eight figure entrepreneurs optimize their sleep, nutrition, body, mind, time and focus. And in doing so, uh, live a more effective life. Um. I learned a lot during that conversation. I had been following Billy for a few years, so I kind of know the the general uh, views he has on certain things, the general advice he gives out. But having the opportunity to sit down with Billy and pick his brains for just under an hour and a half, ask the questions that I wanted to ask and hopefully ask the questions that you wanted to ask, because um, that's that's kind of my aim with these conversations, to make them as relevant Uh, and as opportunity-filled as possible for everybody listening. Uh, That was really amazing. Such a good conversation. Learned so much. And the response to that episode, not only is it the most downloaded episode of this podcast series ever, for good reason, but also just the number of messages I've had, the number of conversations that it sparked around things like sleep, around things like proactively looking after your health, around how uh, health, fitness, food, sleep all of these things impact productivity it's just been really interesting and so if you're not already make sure that you go and follow billy i think his instagram handle is billy harris health and if you search billy harris health on youtube you'll find all of his videos 
he is an absolute beast when it comes to the knowledge he has. Uh, and yeah, I just feel really fortunate to have been able to have that conversation and more importantly, record that conversation so that we have it on the record and we can all learn from it. But yeah, other than that, other than the new episode and a very busy business life, not much has been going on in as much as we're all in another lockdown. I've been sat at home. I have been doing not a great deal when it comes to socializing or hobbies or going out to exciting places because none of us have, right? But in the absence of having all of those distractions, I have really grasped hold of the ethos that I spoke about a couple of weeks ago when we last spoke. So a couple of weeks ago, I told you that on the 1st of January, I was going to be starting the 75 hard challenge. And you'll be pleased to know I haven't yet missed a day. And I'm not going to miss a day, just to be clear. Uh, I'm 14 days in. This right here is day 14. And so every day for the last 14 days, I've had to follow the five rules, which are number one, work out twice per day for at least 45 minutes at a time. And one of the workouts needs to be outdoors. Number two, follow a diet. Number three, drink at least a gallon of water a day. Now, like I said last time, I'm not drinking a gallon of water because the research on that is flaky at the best. So I'm drinking two and a half liters a day. Uh, number four, take a progress picture every day. And number five, read 10 pages of a non-fiction book every single day. Now, those things as standalone items to do sound fairly easy. And it's because those things as standalone items to do are fairly easy. If I were to ask you to make sure that at some point in the 24-hour period tomorrow, you read 10 pages of a book, you're probably going to manage to do it. If I ask you to make sure in the 24-hour period tomorrow you work out and go out for a walk, you're probably going to do it. But trying to do all of those things that I just set out every single day for 75 days makes it so much more difficult because it very quickly, and this is what I've learned so far from 75 Hard, it very quickly stops being a physical challenge. And it turns into a mental challenge. And this is the whole point of 75 Hard. It is a mental toughness challenge. But it's one that I wasn't sure would actually be that difficult. In as much as I, I had the same thought process that I just laid out, right? Whereby I thought that those five things aren't that difficult. Because physically, it's correct to say that they're not that difficult. But having to bring yourself to do things that you don't want to do in uncomfortable situations when the circumstances perhaps aren't ideal every single day for many many weeks back to back without missing a single day forces you to go to a place in your mind that truthfully I don't think I've been to in a few years it forces you to almost sit with your discomfort and this is something that I have done in a literal sense about a week ago I woke up at, I think it was quarter past seven, when my alarm went off, it was minus three degrees outside, and I knew that I had to drag myself out of bed and go on a 45 minute walk. Now the last thing I wanted to do at that very moment in time was get out of my warm bed, go out into the dark, go out into the cold, and walk around early in the morning on my own for 45 minutes. And so I didn't. For a whole hour... I sat in the house and I didn't move. But rather than giving up, rather than accepting, okay, I don't want to do this thing right now. It's going to be slightly uncomfortable. So I'm going to move on to the next thing. I'm going to pull up my to-do list. I'm going to make some breakfast. I'm going to do something to, 
give myself the permission to move past this thing that I know I want to do, rather than doing any of those things, which typically is exactly what I would do. I chose to do the opposite. In fact, I chose to do nothing. Not nothing in a procrastination sense, not nothing in a lazy sense, but nothing in the sense that if you sit with discomfort for long enough, if you just sit, wait, and hope that it will pass, it will pass, because discomfort is fairly fleeting, and you have to find that moment of opportunity whereby you're ready to jump out of bed and go outside. Same as you need to find that opportunity where you're ready to do that second workout of the day when you don't really want to. Or in the case of trying to consume just under 3,000 calories every single day, there have been days where it's like 10pm at night and I think, you know what, I'm 900 calories short right now because I haven't really planned my food very well today. I'd much rather just go to bed. But before I get into bed, I just sit and I wait until I'm like, fuck it, I'm going to go make a protein shake and some peanut butter on toast to get those macros up. I think what 75 Hard has taught me so far is two really important things. The first is, as I've spoken about, that sitting with discomfort, facing up to it rather than pacifying yourself to avoid it is really important. And I'm sure it's a transferable skill. I'm sure that I'm not only going to use this sitting with discomfort in a, a fad and internet challenge. I'm sure that this hopefully after 75 days is something that I'm going to get better at in life more generally because I know I speak for myself here and I probably speak for you when I say that there are many things that we tell ourselves, oh, I'll just do it tomorrow or oh, I'll do it another time or for X, Y and Z reasons, I won't do this thing today because the circumstances aren't ideal, because the weather outside isn't great, because I'm quite busy, because I just can't do it. That's a really easy get out. The opposite to that, sitting, waiting, holding time until such a time that you just get on and do it, not only gets more done in your life, but it it slowly teaches you to speed up that process. It took me an hour two weeks ago to drag myself out of bed and go for a walk. Already right now, that's down to like 15 minutes on the bad days. And hopefully by the end of this, I'll be so used to that form of discomfort that I'll just get on with it. And the second thing that 75 Hard has taught me so far is that to have good habits, you need to have good organisation. Working out twice per day, finding time to fit in enough healthy meals to consume 3,000 calories per day, making sure that I have the time to read a book every single day, making sure even, as silly as this one sounds, that I have the organisation in place to make sure that I'm drinking enough water, to make sure that I'm routinely going to fill up my bottle, to make sure that I'm actually drinking it. All of these things require some level of planning and some level of organisation. Because without a plan of when I'm going to go on a walk or when I'm going to fit that second workout in, uh, or even at what time of the day I'm going to read the book, trying to fit those five simple tasks in every day without fail which actually, by the way, is just a proxy to trying to achieve your goals, is really difficult. And so something that this process has taught me that, truthfully, I don't think I've ever really considered before. I like to sit here and tell you about all of the things I do know about habits and all of the things I do know about uh, reaching your ambitions. But something that perhaps I haven't realised before is that the details that you plan makes such a difference as to whether or not you're going to hit your goals, whether they are target-based goals, you know, outcome-based goals or process-based goals. 
whether it's something that you just tell yourself you want to do every day and just be done with it or whether it's something that you're aiming towards that is a huge seemingly unachievable goal whatever your goals are so much of hitting them it would seem from this process comes down to just making sure that you have a plan in place to do so Uh, and this is something more generally to be honest that i've learned uh, in life more broadly over the past few years i remember when we first started dream as it was back then uh, and richard would always want to have a plan in place for everything we do And I would always think, what on earth is the point of a plan? Like, why don't we just get on with doing the work? Because truthfully, that's the way I ran Magnate as a business, right? I just kind of sat on my laptop from time to time, did a bit of work, hoping it was pushing us in the right direction, hit publish and went back to doing whatever I was doing. And I was getting work done and I felt productive. But Richard quickly taught me that having plans in place improves outcomes having processes in place ensures that things are repeatable and done predictably and actually get done correctly and i'd learned that lesson a few years ago in business essentially what patter is today is a series of processes backed with some expertise that is sold as a service to businesses right we essentially sell processes and yet i've never really let those processes bleed over into my life and so hopefully One of the things that I take with me when I complete 75 hard in the middle of March is that I will be far better at putting in place non-negotiable processes that help me move more efficiently towards my goals. And then going back to what I said a minute ago, having the self-discipline to sit with the discomfort of trying to hit those goals on the days when it's difficult, on the days when I don't want to do the thing until such a time that I get it done. Because like I say, it is far more a mental challenge than it is a physical one and I think that's true for a lot of things in life a lot of the things that we put down to not having the time or put down to not being able to do because of some physical reason or put down to any other external excuse when you really probe into it when you really ask yourself the honest and the difficult questions a lot of the reason why we don't do the things we want to do or why we don't do the things we ought to do is because we're facing some sort of mental barrier and I'm certainly not qualified to put into words what one of those mental barriers is like I don't quite know how to describe it but most things are a mental challenge and this is something I hear repeatedly with high performance athletes people who run ultra marathons people who are world-class bodybuilders people who are at the absolute top of their game There is a consistent theme that I hear again and again when I listen to these people talk and it is that yes, of course, their nutrition is on point. Yes, of course, their training is dialed in. But when it gets really difficult, when somebody is running an ultra marathon and the sun is beating down on them and they're feeling like they're ready to give up, it is not their legs that keeps them going. It is not their uh, their physical training. It is not their hydration any more than it is their mental state any more than it is their ability to sit comfortable with discomfort and so with all of that said i hope that that's something that i can learn to uh, instill in myself because truthfully i'm a little bit weak in that sense and i've realized this a few times in the past from when i go to the gym and i kind of give up on a set and I tell myself at the time, oh, that was that was definitely because that was my physical limit. It was definitely that. And then I think about it and I'm like, no, actually, it was 
probably more likely because I just felt a bit uncomfortable and so I gave up far sooner than I could have done. And the same in business and work, there will be days where it gets to like 4pm, I already haven't had the most productive day ever and so I think yeah no I think that this is where I should give up because it's definitely something to do with the food I've eaten or it's definitely to do with uh, something going on in my mind today whereas truthfully it's probably just to do with willpower. It's probably just to do with not having it in me to just push through a bit of discomfort and so I'm not sure if you've taken anything from this 15 minute ramble but There's something in this, there's something that I'm going to be talking about more in the future and I haven't quite worked out what it is, but this process of 75 hard is definitely teaching me something and it is nothing to do with working out, it is nothing to do with diet, it is nothing to do with books and it is everything to do with what goes on in your mind when you're trying to do something difficult. So, entirely unrelated, but something I wanted to share with you. I watched a Netflix documentary a couple of weeks ago, directed by a YouTuber I watched called Matt Diavella, and I believe the Netflix documentary is called The Minimalists Less Is Now, I think it's called. And it is essentially about, exactly as it sounds, minimalism, but in a modern sense. So I don't know about you, but typically when I think of the word minimalism, I think of a person sat on the floor in a small simple apartment with absolutely no possessions uh, with little interest in money or physical things who just lives their life almost as a recluse like that is forever for as long as I can remember the vision I've had in my mind of minimalists and it wasn't until maybe two years ago I discovered Matt Diavella's YouTube channel and he is a productivity YouTuber who Uh, runs a successful business, runs a successful YouTube channel, seems to live a very happy, a very content and a very normal life, but also somebody who happens to identify as a minimalist. And his approach to minimalism is essentially that it's not about having no possessions, but rather it's about ensuring that everything that you do have and everything that you do buy serves a purpose. And I happened to watch the documentary just at the right time because although I already knew Matt's ethos to minimalism we just entered a new lockdown literally just as I watched it and I had myself thinking back to the previous lockdown in the spring and summer last year where we were all sat at home for months and months on end and I spent an awful lot of money on Amazon like probably seven eight hundred pounds on just random shit Because every time I faced the most minor of difficulties, every time I thought, oh, this task could be done slightly easier or I could do with fixing that thing over there in my room, I would just buy my way out of the problem. I would go onto Amazon, I'd click a couple of buttons and a brown box with a smile on its side would turn up the next day with some random bit of tack. And most of the time, that's what it was. It was random tat because I look around me now and so few of those things that I bought on Amazon six, seven, eight months ago are still with me. Most of them have been binned or I just couldn't tell you where they are because they didn't solve the problem. They just gave me the illusion that buying something would solve the problem. And the reason that this documentary resonated so much, I think, is it was almost exactly a year ago to the day that... I recorded one of the very early episodes of this podcast and I spoke to you about the idea of trying to use 2020 to adapt backwards. And I forget exactly how I described it, but essentially it was my ambition to use last year to purposely spend 
less money in certain areas of my life, purposely regress in my level of comfort to ensure that I am being, I suppose, disciplined when it comes to my spending. Because I felt at the time that I was spending too much money on stuff that I didn't really need, that wasn't bringing me happiness, that didn't serve a purpose, that had no function, but rather that I was just buying because I could, or buying because it seemed convenient in the moment. And so it was my aim last year to do exactly as I said at the time, to uh, adapt backwards. And that's almost the exact opposite of what I did. There were things I bought that were useful and serve a purpose, right? I'm looking around me now, there's, uh, I don't know, a Rubik's Cube. Seems to not serve a purpose, but that probably gave me, I don't know, 15, 20 hours worth of boredom busting uh, time during lockdown. Great purchase. Uh, Harry Potter books up there that I'm looking at, bought from Amazon, been reading them. They're great. I enjoy them. Another good purchase. But so many of the things that I bought last year, I didn't need. I probably didn't even want. I wasted an awful lot of money on and I couldn't even tell you where they are right now. And so that tells me that I probably could do with taking advice from that documentary, which is essentially to really think before you buy things. And to look around your current environment right now, whether you're listening to this in your car or your office or your bedroom or living room at home or wherever you are. And to just look at the amount of stuff you have. To look at the amount of clothes you have in your wardrobe. To look at the amount of things you have in your kitchen drawers. To look at the stuff hidden in cupboards or uh, under beds or in garages or in storage even. If you have a really extreme stuff problem. And just really ask if you ever use that stuff. Ask if you really need it. And then there's a challenge set at the end of the documentary that I'm considering doing, but I'm not really sure I have that many things because I've been quite a lot of shit when I tidied my room at the end of lockdown, but essentially to bin uh, a bunch of things, right? So on day one, you get rid of one possession. On day two, you get rid of two possessions. Day three, three, and so on, right the way up to day 30. And the challenge is that you slowly but surely get rid of all of the things in your life that no longer serve a purpose, that no longer have any utility, they don't have any sentimental value, they're just taking up space because we all find ourselves doing it, I know I do, I get around to tidying up my bedroom and I'll have this enormous pile of shit that deep down I know I don't need and I know I don't need it because I haven't looked at it in years and yet there's this voice in the back of my head and it's like oh but I might use it one day. So I will put it back into the enormous pile of shit until two years later when I look at it again and say, well, I haven't used it since last time, but I might need this one day. And that cycle seems to repeat. And I think that I watched this documentary at the right time because I don't own a home. Um, I'm fairly young. I don't have that many things. And so my stuff problem hasn't really escalated. I don't have that many things. But the stats in this documentary are crazy about the number of things in any given household. There are, I think, millions of items in any given house, if I remember correctly. And I just think, my God, I couldn't imagine living around that much shit. And I say shit in the sense that, you know, they're, they're just statistically, you're never going to use that many things. So yeah, I think that you should watch it. I think that you should watch it, hear it out. It's only like 55 minutes long and then make a decision for yourself at the end as to whether you think it would be beneficial to make any changes to your lifestyle and to your possessions based on what the documentary has to say. It's one of the few documentaries I've watched in the past year 
that actually seem to have a useful challenge at the end. Uh, and as a result of it, although I'm not going to be binning however many things it is over the 30 days because I'd probably be left with an empty house, much like the stereotype I have of traditional minimalists. Uh, despite not doing that, something I have started doing in the past couple of weeks since watching it is a 48-hour rule on Amazon. So, generally speaking, the things I order from Amazon are not important. They're not things that I need urgently. And they're things that I add to my basket and purchase because it's so bloody easy to do so. So, for those things... For anything I add to my basket in Amazon, unless it's for the business and we need it urgently, I let it sit there for 48 hours. And then I come back to it a couple of days later and I ask myself, do I actually need this thing? Have I re-encountered the problem that I was going to buy this thing for? Is there a better solution out there? All of these things. And truthfully, I've still probably bought 60% of the stuff that I've added to my basket. Nothing extravagant like protein powder, face wash, a new toothbrush and so on. But there are also other things that I've removed. And that's probably saved me in two weeks, maybe, I don't know, what have I added? Uh, maybe like 50 quid. 50 quid in two weeks. Made my space tidier, because there's not things I'm not going to use, and formed a good habit. So yeah, that's that's my takeaway from the documentary. It's called The Minimalists Less Is Now. It's on Netflix, and you should check it out. And that is just about it for this week. Um, it's been one of those periods where... I've been so busy and I've been so active doing things that I haven't really stopped to think. I think the only time that I've really had clear, uh, long thoughts is on my walks in the mornings or in the evenings, which is a really good time to think. And that's actually where I've noted down a couple of the things that I've spoken about today. So I think I'm going to continue doing that. I think that this podcast will be produced on the go, not in a recorded sense, but in a, I will take notes as I'm walking and they will be the things I end up talking about because yeah. It's been good. Uh, just before I go, let me tell you about next week's episode, because next week you're going to be hearing a conversation between me and Andrew Tyndall. You might know Andrew as the guy who was fired many weeks after me on the BBC's Young Apprentice. He did immeasurably better than I did. Uh, and he, I think he got through to the semi-finals, quarter-finals. I don't know. I, I, it was a long time ago. But since The Apprentice, Andrew actually has a very, very interesting story, far more interesting than the one that happened on screen. So Andrew went to a prestigious university in London to study medicine. He was going to be a doctor. And actually, if you add up the time he would have been in university for, it'd be very likely that right now, if he carried on with that degree, he would be an F1 doctor somewhere in a hospital right now fighting COVID. But that's not what he did, because halfway through his degree, he changed. He got his degree he left university and then he moved into the alcohol industry. He's been there for about five or six years now. And right now he is a brand activation manager at Bacardi. And it's his job to help influence you to buy and interact with the alcohol brands that you buy and interact with. And so we have a very interesting conversation about the psychology behind alcohol, the reasons why people drink, how you can make better informed decisions when you're going out to a bar, all sorts of things that as somebody who doesn't drink, I found very interesting. So if you do happen to drink, you're probably going to find it even more interesting. So that'll be here uh, this time next week. And that is it. Um, if you're not already, make sure that you're following this podcast. I know that we have a bunch of new people on board since last week's episode of Billy. So if that's you, it's good to have you here. If you're not new, if you've been around forever, hello. Thanks for being here. Um, and yeah, that's all I've got. So I am going to go and have some dinner and I'll see you back here this time next week. 
for episode number 56 of Life and Lessons. See you then. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com code buttery exclusions apply see site for details